Hello. Hello. I <laughs> I'm Kowal. Why did I like forget? My I don't know. <laughs> Welcome back to Diagnosing it's a Killer. Can a crystal mouth? Can <laughs> a crystal mess. That's my new handle. How is it going? Welcome back. You don't like this intro? <laughs> it's all right. Okay. It's fine. I could deal. So, we are back today with another case. Before we get started, we got an email from Woo! someone that we don't know. We're not poking at to email us. We love getting emails from people we don't know. Literally, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to put her name in there just because I'm not sure if she's comfortable with it, but I will say her uh, the inbox subject was Yowzer, which I love already. Yowzer. <laughs> like, that's already amazing. The email says, ladies, smiley face, I just finished episode six. I just love, love, and two heart emojis, your podcast. <laughs> okay, I want to know after several years of listening to interesting murderous podcasts and then deleting good podcasts because I can't hear or understand the speakers because of annoying music in the background or echoes, etc. Why does your podcast sound perfect without my turning all my bass down, treble up, and volume to 60? And besides all of that, you're funnier than fuck. Sorry to your mom, LOL. <laughs> the only complaint is going to be, I, you won't be able to put them out fast enough to keep up with my binge. I love your banter. I love that you leave in the funny little mistakes you make. So, way to go from up the mountain in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Aww. Hooray! Yay! Thank you so much for that lovely email. I literally immediately screenshotted it and sent it to Coella as soon as it came in because I got really excited. I sent it to my mom, so she saw. Um, I would say the only thing that we do, I think, differently than people that I've seen maybe, like, a video of them recording is that, well, we're in a tiny little closet. Yeah, but first also, of all, we're in a closet surrounded by clothing. Yes, so. but also we share one microphone. A lot of people have their own microphone, and they have, they have like, a screen in front of it. Um, we actually have the Yeti blue microphone that we just, we have like a little TV tray and then we put the computer and the microphone on the tray and then we both sit like <laughs> equidistance from the microphone. In little tiny child children, uh, like children sized chairs. Like wooden chairs. Like I'm eating my knees right now. Yeah. My butt <laughs> bones hurt every time we finish recording. No pain, no gain. It's for the audience. But yeah, I think that might be the reason we turn our gain like just right in the middle, like not too high, not too low. Uh, we try not to get way too close to the microphone because yeah. then it seems like we're shouting. We're um, very critical of how we sound. Yeah. We're very critical. Like, we even discussed recently in the last few episodes that we felt there are certain points where we laugh too hard or talk yeah. this loud. And it's very... Blows out It the blows out your speakers. I'll be yeah. driving, listening to us. Because I'm bougie like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do too. I like binge listen to I our like podcasts. I like to know. And then, you know, I feel like it gives me more awareness too. If I feel like I said something that I'm like, ooh, that's a little... Ooh. Then it's like, yeah, I shouldn't do that next I time. I shouldn't or, say that next time. Or yeah. I shouldn't, you know, phrase it that way next time or things like that. Yeah, and so then like the first thing, she said that she had listened to episode six. And so I immediately went and listened to episode six. Because I was like, <laughs> what did she hear? Oh my gosh, she was listening to my voice. I didn't even know. I felt so self-conscious. <laughs> But it's like, that's why we do this. So thank you so much for the nice email. 
Um, there's also Instagram if you want to hit us up. Because I tried to look you up on Instagram and I couldn't find you. So. Ew, don't do that. That's creepy. Well, I was trying to see if she was following the diagnosing oh, email see. or the diagnosing Insta, but I don't see anybody by that name. Mm-hmm. Anyways, thank you so much thank for the you. lovely email. We hope to hopefully keep up with your binge. We're trying to post an episode a week, uh, whether it be a mental breakdown or a case. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that'll help you uh, get your fix, if you will. <laughs> I'm so excited. I must know. Yeah, about the case? Okay, yes. yes. So I've been talking about this case uh, for a little while now. It's, I would say, one that most of the listeners will probably know, at least the name. I personally, I knew the name and I kind of knew the story, but I kind of, uh, I learned a lot when I was doing my research. So we're going to get right into it. This guy is perhaps the deadliest serial killer of all time. Mm. Do you have a guess? Mm-hmm. I'm just writing that H3, mm-hmm. H3. Uh, what? You ever seen that? H3, when he's like talking to that girl. I don't even know. It's that woman that's on his podcast with him, and every time she finishes a sentence. Oh. She's the yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's the girl mm-hmm. that does the voiceover. Do you know you do that? You know you so do that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After every sentence. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? <laughs> I do? She doesn't even it's realize. so funny. She's funny. She's, She's like... She's hilarious. Did you know that Biden quoted Hamilton? And he's like, what? She's like, yeah, he quoted Hamilton. He did the, you know, <laughs> we, we give these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. And he's like, what? What? And she's like, that's from Hamilton. And he's like, no, it's no, not. It's not. <laughs> like, no, it is not. Hamilton quoted that. <laughs> Anyways, do you have a guess for the, the person? The most deadliest serial killer? In America. In America. In America. There's Ted Bundy. There's Jeffrey Dahmer. There's... You would think. Kemper. There's... That's a good guess, but no. See, I feel like he doesn't get talked about as much as the Kemper? big guys. No. This guy I'm, I'm doing. Oh, okay. Samuel Little. See? Oh, you Samuel don't even Little. Know. He's the, he's the uh, Green River. Is he no. the Green River? No. He he's was... Golden Gate. He's... <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> he got named the infamous choke and stroke killer. Damn. But I'm not fucking calling him that. <laughs> I'm not fucking calling him that. That's giving him way too much credit. Choke and stroke. Isn't that terrible? That is horrible. I'm going to call him What Samuel. year was this? The, it was the 1930s? No, it was like they the, the 70s to, call to 90s. Okay. Anyways, we're going to get started since uh, <laughs> you don't know as much as I thought you would about him. So I'm excited about this. Samuel Little was born as Samuel McDowell on June 7th, 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia, to parents Bessie Mae Little and Paul McDowell. I couldn't find the mother's age when Samuel was born, but it did say that Paul was only 19 when he was born. So they were young teenage parents. Oh, this was 1940s, so they might as well be in their 30s. Yeah, that's true. So there's actually two different stories about his parents that I found. Uh, One was stated by himself, and the other was stated by, like, the police or something. I don't know. But one of the stories which Samuel had said was that his mother was a teenage sex worker who lived with her mother and actually abandoned him on the side of the road after Paul, the father, was out of the picture, while other sources said that authorities believed Bessie was actually in jail when she gave birth to him. Um, Unsure which one is true, but either way, Paul McDowell, his father, was out of the picture and Samuel was given to his grandmother shortly after he was born when his last name was changed to Little. Hmm. Once given to his grandmother, the both of them went to Lorraine, Ohio, where Samuel was brought up by both of his grandparents. 
Not much is known about Samuel from early childhood until middle school, but when he reached middle school, he actually attended Hawthorne Junior High School. Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, he had many problems with discipline and achievement. You know, most of the time, I feel like we talk about people that were troubled, you know, growing up and, and especially into adulthood, but their childhood, maybe it was good or, you know, there's no red flags. This was, like, a shit show from, from like, the start. the start, yeah. Um, later on, Samuel would recall that during his childhood, like, kindergarten, he would have sexual fantasies about strangling women, and it started when he saw his kindergarten teacher, like, touch her neck, and he was like, ooh, he, like, really fixated on the neck. On her neck? Huh. And as a teen... He was noted as collecting true crime magazines that depicted women being choked. Choke and stroke. Choke and stroke. During his time in middle school, he was also caught stealing. And at the age of 13, he was sent to a reformatory school for teenage boys. This is in 1954. It was noted that when arriving at this school, it was written in his notes, like his folder, that his mother's whereabouts were, quote, unknown. Uh, It was reported that he attended the school for only a year and during this time, he ended up with 47 disciplinary reports. In a year? In a year. A school, school year. A not school even year. just like, it's not <laughs> yeah. even a full year. It's, it's like, like six, six months. months. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this meant that he was kicked out of the school. And by the age of 16, he actually found himself kind of like drifting around the U.S., uh, hitchhiking, whatever, and was quickly arrested for, it said... One source said burglary, one source said B&E, like breaking and entering, in Omaha, Nebraska. Due to this arrest, he was sent to juvie and was done with school after this. He's like, you know what, I don't think that's for me. Yeah. Now, from the ages of 16 to 20, Samuel was already getting his track record started with his crimes. He was in and out of juvie and jail for various crimes such as theft, DUI, assault, armed robbery, and rape. Just from the get. Like, there's no, like, slow spot here. He just immediately, yeah. like, started getting into crimes. Well, like you said, sometimes it's, you know, the the kid grows up in a household that's atypical, and, uh, but then as soon as they're able to escape, they kind of go Lash to out. college. No, no, oh. the opposite. They go to college, or they get successful careers, mm-hmm. and then it's not until later, likely when a mental illness would develop, yeah. um, then, you know, all of a sudden they're... yeah they kill people or they whatever. Exactly. And I will say, like, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but there is no obvious mental illness here. Like, mm-hmm. that's, he was obvious from childhood or that he was it's diagnosed with, like, it's just fucking happened. Like, yeah. And then you'll also notice that along this time, similarly to most people that we talk about, he gets arrested and released a bunch of fucking times. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. By this time, after he had gotten all these arrests when he was 20, he had been released from a stint in Mansfield Prison, and somehow his mother had, like, resurfaced and come back into his life. Like, hit him up like, yo, she what's going a place on? to crash. Well, she was actually living in Miami, and so he made his way down there oh. to her. Um, he literally, like, hitchhiked all the way to Miami from, I think he was in Nebraska, maybe? hmm During his time living in Miami, he worked as a cemetery worker, and he was actually an ambulance attendant by his own account. I'm not sure. This was never confirmed. An ambulance attendant. Like, he wasn't, mean? like, an EMT or anything. Maybe he, like... An attendant. I don't know. I don't cleaned know. him? Yeah, something. Probably like, cleaned him something. up. And during his time living in Miami, he actually got multiple arrests, again, for petty crimes. In between him going in and out of, you know, jail, court, whatever... Mm-hmm. 
he actually somehow became a competitive boxer. <laughs> I mean... I mean, it kind of... Okay, so he's working in a cemetery yeah. with dead people. He's cleaning ambulances, blood. Injured people. <laughs> <laughs> Injured people. And then well, he just graduates to being violent with people. Exactly. Like, he's viol- a very violent person, obviously. Mm-hmm. Fuck, let's do boxing. I mean, yeah, this is legal, not? right? This did not last long, however. <laughs> it was and, like a month? Yeah. In ni- it was like a year, I think. Okay. And in 1961, Samuel was arrested and sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store. And he was released in 1964 for that arrest. Mm-hmm. Eventually... But he's been arrested, like, so many times already, right? Yeah, exactly. For th- rape and theft and burglary and, like, r- armed robbery. Like, keep this fucking dude. Like, right? Bars. Like, he's well, clearly fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, unless he's using aliases or something. Yeah, this is... True. It was the 1940s. Yeah. Well, this 50s. is now 1970. This okay. is when his crime... His very violent crime So he'll begin. be in his 30s. Yes. Okay. So, in June of 1970... A 33-year-old woman by the name of Mary Brosley left her home in Massachusetts without telling anybody where she was going and abandoning her 7-year-old son in the process. What? Although her problems with alcohol were known by her family, shortly after leaving on June 12th, they reported her missing because it was super unlike her to leave for long periods of time, especially without her son. Mm-hmm. The night before her disappearance, Mary had been found by police walking down the street late at night. Apparently, she had been with two men engaging in prostitution, and after this was done, the two men actually pushed her out of a moving vehicle, injuring her shoulder in the process. But then she just straight up disappears the next day? So she informed police that she would be returning to her parents' home the next day, but she never arrived. So the police can account for her whereabouts the night before she's missing. Huh. Mary was also noted to be very thin and frail. Low in weight. Um, she only weighed 80 pounds mm-hmm. at 33, and she was only 5'4", so she was little. Little, little. Yeah. It would later become known that she was frequently in and out of the hospital with cirrhosis of the liver and treated for alcoholism. She had a very big problem with alcohol. On top of her struggles, Mary was also noted to have had a previous hip surgery, which included her having to have metal plates and screws put in and leaving her with a permanent limp. She's a very distinct Very distinct lady. She also had multiple permanent injuries that unfortunately happened at the hands of her ex-husband in their previous marriage. So notably, her life was very rough up until this point, you know, where she she goes missing. Do they mean that, like, you could see, like, previous bone fractures and She had, like, scars and stuff. Oh, I see. I think she had, like, a scar on her her head somehow or... Mm -hmm. Or something, but yeah, that's what they were saying. So Mary, again, I told you, she had told police she would be returning home the next day. She yeah. did not. Her okay. parents had reported her missing. However, she wasn't a missing person herself. She was missing to her family. So during this time that her family thinks she's missing, well, she is technically missing to them, she continues her sex work and eventually makes her way down to Miami, Florida. Oh, okay. uh, Six months later. And so her she, parents do live there? They live in Massachusetts. Oh, So she okay. left. She just left the home, left her son. Oh. Yeah. Like, seemingly for no reason, you know? So she somewhat just ended up in Miami. Yes. So she arrives in Miami around December, we'll okay. say, of 1970. Now, fast forward to New Year's Eve of 1970, the same year, Mary decided to celebrate at a bar, and while there, she was introduced to a man by the name of Samuel Little. Hmm. Samuel later recalled that Mary spoke about leaving her family due to struggles with her alcoholism, and he actually remembered that she had a limp. Very distinct. Very distinct limp. 
He also stated that he remembers she was wearing a flowered sundress and a chain necklace. Of course, he would be gawking at her neck. The events that followed were not laid out in detail online. However, Samuel later noted that he remembers playing with her necklace before he strangled her with it, Mm. pretty much. So this just jumped up to... It was just murder. Yeah, just murder. Due to the fact that he was a professional boxer at one point... One of the most eerie things about Samuel, in my opinion, was that he never used weapons to kill his victims. He would only use his hands, making it very difficult sometimes for investigators to determine the cause of death. Was he kind of a big guy? He was huge. Yeah. He would typically punch his victims to stun them or to knock them out, and then he would proceed to strangle them with his bare hands, which is absolutely terrifying. That is terrifying. It wouldn't be until January 24th of 1971, so a few weeks later, that a man and his 15-year-old son would come across Mary's body in a shallow grave of a wooded area while on a hunting trip. Content warning. The body had decomposed to a state of being unrecognizable, so it was not immediately known what it was when the man and his son had approached. The fact that her body was placed with one leg sticking out of the shallow grave led investigators to believe that someone else was involved, and this was indeed a homicide. It was noted that when she was found, her mesh underwear were actually put back on her with both legs in one hole. So, like, forcefully yeah. put on her. It, w- it wasn't something that was naturally occurring. It yes. was something that was very, yeah. It was also noted by investigators that Mary's blood alcohol content in her brain, at the time she was found was anywhere from 0.29 to 0.37, which is extremely high. And they did mention that if it was 0.37, it would have been enough to kill her. So it actually took them a little bit longer to determine that it was a homicide. I just feel like after 24 days, how could there be that much alcohol in the brain? Exactly. She was, I don't know. <clears throat> maybe she, well, she did have a long history of alcoholism. Maybe her brain was pickled, if you will, for lack of a better yeah, she phrase. Yeah, brain. Well, yeah, I, you know, if she's that much of an alcoholic, something that would normally kill someone probably likely wouldn't kill her. She was used to getting that drunk. When being interviewed later about this murder, Samuel told Miami-Dade homicide detective David Denmark that Mary was the first woman that he killed. He recalled that she was wearing a colorful sundress and remarked that she wore a chain necklace. I say many years later... And you'll find out how long... I don't want to give it away, but you'll find yeah, out I don't how long ago this was. Denmark was noted as saying about the murder, quote, We believe he choked her to death. He had said he only partially buried her because the ground floor was too hard and he would never bury someone in Florida again because the ground was too hard. Meaning he intended to bury more people. Samuel Little went on to kill many victims... But for time's sake, we're not going to speak about each one individually. And also because some of them have never been confirmed to be his or their identities were never confirmed. Wow. Um, Most of the, I would say probably 50% of the deaths that he caused were chalked up to natural causes when they were found because there was no murder weapon. And seemingly, I mean, it was a long time after they were found. I will say, however, the suggested amount of people that he killed is 93. What? So... (laughs) We're going to get in. That's a lot. I wanted to lay out his first murder because obviously that's the turning point. We're going to kind of go through his life up Mm -hmm. until when he gets caught. Um, But during that time, he kills dozens of people. Mm -hmm. 
I'll mention some along the way that I could find info on. And just as a overall content warning, before we move on, I'm going to be mentioning a number of different people along the way that unfortunately Samuel killed. Uh, the MO is the same for each person, so it's not too, too graphic. And if it is graphic, I will repeat content warning, but I just wanted to put a content warning on the rest of this. Mm. So by 1975, this is five years later, Samuel had been arrested 26 times in 11 different states for crimes including theft, assault, attempted rape, fraud, and attacks on government officials. On government officials? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that Who? is. I don't know. <laughs> Was that an act? Like, did he run into somebody and didn't um, realize they were a government official? Or do you think he was, like, politically driven? He was probably... Li- no, I don't think he was politically driven at all. I don't think no. he gave a shit about that. Well, he had I mean, other you shit know. going on. I just feel like that's so specific. Yeah, and you're going to be pissed. Um, in total, he only served 10 years' time for these various crimes. And he was arrested 26 times? Yes. In he 11 different 10 years. Total. Oh, no, this is, like, a theme... He, like, gets off scot-free for, like, some shit. This is ridiculous. I have no fucking idea. That's ridiculous. It's reported that between 1970 and 1982, he was responsible for the deaths of at least two dozen women, one of them being Annie Lee Stewart, a 33-year-old mother of three, on October 11th, 1981. Samuel strangled the mom to death and then proceeded to drive her body to Grove City in Ohio to dump it in the woods... It was noted that it was raining that day, and maybe that's why he decided on the woods, because it was raining. Yeah. In 1982, Samuel was arrested in Pasigula, Mississippi, and charged with the murder of 22-year-old Melinda Rose LaPree. She had gone missing in September of that same year after running away from home with her boyfriend. He was actually pimping her out for money. And that's the boyfriend? That's kind of a harsh way to say that, but yeah, yeah he was. Uh, Melinda was known to dabble in cocaine and weed, and Samuel usually chose his victims based on their being under the influence, and he thought that these people, because they were involved in sex work, would not be looked for afterwards, which is really which, unfortunate. Which is awful, it's and awful. I think that's just uh, the shittiest justification you can come no, up with. No, literally. During his trial... During his trial, a grand jury decided not to indict him for her murder... Based on lack of sufficient evidence. What was the evidence? I didn't say. Well, I mean, I guess there's a lack of. Yeah, <laughs> a lack thereof. There wasn't <laughs> any. There wasn't any. Did he say that he did it? No, he. of course he didn't. He pled not guilty. So he why did it. He did it. He'll admit later that he did yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. gods, why? Melinda's brother would later recall, quote, Mindy came from a loving family, but she just had some really unfortunate turns in her life with her mother dying when she was just seven, but she was brilliant and a musical genius. She taught herself any instrument she wanted, which is really sweet. I just had to put that in there. Although Samuel did not get charged for this murder, however, while under investigation for this crime, he was actually extradited to Florida and tried for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount, whose body was found on September 12th, 1982. What? Okay. The night before she went missing, witnesses saw her and Samuel dancing at a bar together before they drove off together in his station wagon. Patricia was found dead and unclothed in a hayfield the following morning. During this trial... During this trial... 
Prosecution witnesses identified Samuel as the person who spent time with Patricia on the night before her disappearance. However, due to, quote, mistrust of witness testimonies, because the witnesses were sex workers, the jury did not trust their statements, and Samuel was acquitted in January of 1984. Wow, I have ugh. full body chills. How I'm just mad. How frustrating I'm just is that? Mad. I am mad. That is. How can one per? You're untrustworthy. He's got, he's got a record. He's got a long record. Violent record. If and anything. he's already been to trial for another murder, even though he was acquitted. I guess they can't really talk about that either. But the system has to be like clearly this guy's up to something. Oh, and the fuck this jury that's like, oh, you're a sex worker. I don't fucking trust you. That's ridiculous. So he's now gotten off on two murder charges. And I'm sure he feels invincible at this point. Of course. (sighs) I know. We have a lot more to go. Oh, great. Great. (laughs) I'm so excited. That's great. After his release in 1984, Samuel wasted no time finding another victim, this time in Ohio. Samuel went to a bar on the east side where he met 21-year-old Mary Jo Payton in July of 1984. The two hit it off and eventually left together when Samuel drove her to an abandoned factory and proceeded to strangle her to death. And he actually threw her body down a stairwell afterwards, which is fucked up. Oh, that's awful. After this, Samuel moved close by San Diego, California, and on September 27th of 1984, while prowling for a new victim, Samuel came across 22-year-old Lori Barros, who was working as a sex worker. Samuel pulled up in a car, grabbed her, and threw her inside. He then drove up a steep gravel road and pulled over. This is a content warning. Samuel then threw Lori into the back seat, tied her hands behind her back, and began strangling her. Which is, I'm sorry, that's scarier, because you can't move. You can't do anything. You literally can't do anything. Lori began to fight as hard as she could, which only made Samuel choke her harder. During this time, Lori went in and out of consciousness multiple times, and when she came to the last time, this is gross, Samuel asked her to swallow, stating, quote, I like it when you swallow. Gross. After strangling her for quite some time, Samuel tossed Lori out of the car and drove off. How do we know all this, you ask? Lori laid there completely still and played dead for about 30 minutes before getting up. Badass bitch alert. Terrified that he might be close by. She eventually made her way to a phone booth to call for help, and she was treated and survived the attack. Bad bitch alert. Bad bitch alert. Love it. A friend of hers actually encouraged and pretty much convinced her to file a police report because she was terrified. She didn't want to? Well, she was scared. Yeah. And she did, and she gave a description of his car and the location of where this happened. Surely he's tried for this one. Yeah. Is he? Police department trainee. Oh, God. (laughs) Police department trainee Wayne Spees and his partner read up on the report and decided to stake out the crime scene. They can't arrest him. They just have her word. They don't really have anything to arrest him for. She's a victim. Yeah. I don't understand that. Why is this about? Is this in LA? Where are they? This is in this is in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A month after the incident, on October twenty fifth, nineteen eighty four, the two same police officers were on the scene of the crime. And sure enough, Samuel pulled up in his car with yet another woman, (gasps) Tanya Jackson. Police came upon him attacking her in the exact same way. 
He was quickly taken into custody, and authorities collected a DNA sample, whoop, whoop, which was later uploaded to the National Database. Awesome. Tanya survived her attack as well, and Samuel was- I would hope so. I would hope the police didn't right. stand by Did until she died. Her? Well, he's really not murdering her. He's just <laughs> strangling her. Jesus. Now a murder's been committed. Now we can now take over. Now we can in. take over. Samuel was charged with attempted murder, rape, assault with intent to cause great bodily injury, and I'll other say. related sexual charges. Both women testified against Samuel in a joint trial in the mid-1980s. Why do you look like that? Don't look like that. Be pissed. <laughs> why, why do I need to be pissed? Why do I need to be so mad? During this trial, Samuel was somehow offered a plea deal, and he was given four fucking years in prison for assault and, and false imprisonment. Why not attempted murder? It was a plea deal. As if this isn't bad enough, he was fucking released. In 1987, on good behavior, after only two and a half years, he only served two and a half years. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. For the attempted murder of two women. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <sighs> Upon his release in February of 1987, Samuel moved to L.A. and proceeded to murder at oh. least ten more women. Well, then you know what? It, like, it, that's yeah, what's going to happen now. You want to commit murders? You move to L.A. That's literally that's in, in the 70s. In the 70s, that's what you did. <laughs> If you were a serial murderer, you lived in Literally. LA at least one or two times Literally. throughout your career. Two and a half fucking years for the attempted murder of two women <sighs> and rape and assault and kidnapping. And this is after he was already been convicted, right? Tried for two other tried murders. Tried for two other murders. Not convicted, but So tried they now for. know that this guy, like, they it's don't care. absolutely baffling. They don't care. It's just sex workers. Mm hmm. That's why they don't care, mm -hmm. because it's only sex workers. On July 13th, 1987, this is literally, like, three months after he fucking got out, L.A. police officer Daryl Lee and his partner responded to a call about a dead body lying in an alleyway behind a residence on East 27th Street. Content warning. Could you imagine being those people? No, literally. Just waking up and looking out your back door and just... There's a fucking body in the alley. Horrible. We have an alley. Horrible. That's full of horror. <laughs> That's full of horror. Content warning. Upon arriving at the scene, police came across 41-year-old Carol Eileen Elford. She was naked from the waist down with her shirt pulled up over her bra. She was wearing only one sock and no shoes. The officers also noticed drag marks in the dirt near the woman's feet, suggesting to them that she had been killed elsewhere and dragged to this location. Carol's cause of death was determined to be asphyxia as a result of manual strangulation. She had sustained multiple bruises near her jawline, hemorrhaging in and around her eyes, and scratches and abrasions to her neck, some of which were caused by fingernails. Like, ow. Well, that's her trying to... Yeah. That's awful. That's her, like, her own defense wounds. There was also hemorrhaging beneath her scalp, which is consistent with a blow to the head, because he punched her, of course. Mm -hmm. In August of 1989, Samuel strangled one Audrey Nelson Everett to death and left her in a garage... And on September 3rd, 1989, Guadalupe Apodaca was also strangled to death by Samuel, and he left her in a dumpster. He's just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, yeah, just William. Well, I mean, again, if you've been tried for murder three and times and you've it, gotten away with it. Yeah. There were multiple women found during the years of 1989 and 1990 that were confirmed victims of Samuel Samuel's. However, they are all listed as Jane Doe's due to their names being unknown. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> This is later on that they became listed as victims. 
his first victim is when? 1970? Yeah. And we are at 1990? Yep. 1990. It's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. Okay. I just, just, just making sure. Just making sure. Okay. These crimes took place in multiple different states as Samuel began traveling again. In 1991, Samuel was driving around in Cleveland, Ohio, once again, and came across a 32-year-old woman on the side of the road by the name of Rose Evans. He offered her a ride, and when she accepted, he drove her to an abandoned property, strangled her, and then dumped her body in a vacant lot and covered her with tires. After this murder, there is actually a gap in the timeline for a few years. So, from, like, 91 to 94. On January 1st, 1994, 38-year-old Denise Brothers was reported missing. Her body ended up being found a month later in Odessa, Texas, the victim of a strangulation. I know. This is a lot. I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean, it's not okay. I'm just saying that it's just, it's just incredible that it just, he doesn't, no, like, nobody gives a shit. Between 1995 and 2005, Samuel continued to kill. 2005. But there's not much known about these crimes. There are multiple victims that are suspected victims of Samuel's from 1970 to 1997, including 40 women listed under unnamed. Other women mentioned that are potential victims of his due to his confessions later on. Location searches and sketches drawn by Samuel himself are listed below. What? Linda, 1971. These are all in quotes. Marianne, 1971. Sarah Brown, 1973. Emily, mid-70s. Joe, 1976. Clara Birdlong, 1977. Patricia Parker, 1980. Zena Jones, 1990. Priscilla Baxter Jones, 1997. Francis Campbell, 1984. Granny, 1987. Jolanda Jones, 1994. Alice Denise Duvall, 1991. Roberta Todrich, 1991. Someone under the alias T-Money, 1996, and someone named Anne, 1997. He wrote those out? Those are names that he gave police the years that he killed them and descriptions of them. Because he, he, know, he remembers all this shit. <sighs> that is... I mean, it took me, like, how long to read that out. Yeah. And that's, like, a fraction of what he said that he killed. Although Samuel continued to kill until 2005... His last victim being one Nancy Stevens that was found on the side of the road in Mississippi. There's not anything documented on him until 2012, showing that somehow he decided to lay low for many years during this time, which is what? very odd because he is. was such a compulsive killer for like 40 fucking years. Right. Even, I mean, who knows to say that he didn't kill during this time? <laughs> well, how old would he have been then? Because that was, he was born in 1940. Mm-hmm. So He's like in his 70s. 60s, 70s. Late 60s. 70s, yeah. yeah. On September 5th, 2012, Samuel was arrested at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky with suspicions of a drug charge. A drug charge. Not for the fucking 90 people that he murdered, <laughs> but a drug charge. We suspect he has cocaine. Of course, at this time, DNA testing had come a long way, and since they had had his DNA stored in the database from 1987, he was immediately linked to the murders of Carol, Guadalupe, and Audrey from 1987. Samuel was extradited to California to face these three murder charges. Well, you know it's not going to get done in California, right? No, of course not. Actually, it did. <laughs> <laughs> On January 7th, 2013, Samuel was charged for all three murders from 1987. A few months later, police stated that Samuel was being investigated for involvement in three dozen murder cases from 70 to 90 due to his DNA being linked. Because of this, 
Melinda Laprie, the one that he got tried for and not, he got acquitted, mm-hmm. her case was reopened. I'm not wow. sure why the other one wasn't, but hers was. In total, Samuel was tested for involvement in 93 murders of women committed in 19 different U.S. states. Wow. With more physical evidence against him, Samuel was finally charged for all three murders in September 25th, 2014. He was put away. 2014. The women who had survived the prior attacks by him all testified against him, and he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without possibility of parole. That is incredible, right? For four years, Samuel maintained his innocence and did not speak to anybody about the murders. Maintained his innocence. Fuck him. All of a sudden, it seems, in 2018... 2018! Still alive. Samuel decided that he was going to confess every detail of his crimes. Over the years, many detectives had tried to get a confession out of him, but it was not until James or Jimmy Holland came along that they heard anything. Who's that? Jimmy was a Texas Ranger, hell yeah, who (laughs) came across the cold case of Denise Brothers, the one from Odessa, Texas, in 94. Hmm. Jimmy was known around the precinct as a, quote, serial killer whisperer of sorts, so it made sense that he would go and question Samuel. With the help of the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, Jimmy was able to talk to Samuel about various cases that took place all over the country. Samuel did not give up a confession right away, and Jimmy actually eased into talking to him, uh, slowly talking about his crimes, and making sure to be, like, super delicate when talking about the violence of the crimes. Hmm. The first interrogation lasted for two and a half hours, and in that time, Samuel actually began to, like, kind of like Jimmy. They actually bonded over, like, spending time in Texas, what kind of sodas they liked, and nicknames that they were given as, ch- like, children by their mm-hmm. parents, which is really weird. Not weird, but, like, you know, not it's something you think. unusual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jimmy listened to Samuel as he vented about the different police departments he had come across. Oh, my God, the police are so bad, even though I fucking murdered 90 people. Well, that's why he's saying that they're bad. Well, I'm just saying, like, clearly they're dummies. Yeah, that's true. Samuel slowly began to give up details about certain crimes he had committed. He was noted as saying to Jimmy about his murders, quote, It was like drugs. I came to like it. By the time the interview was over, Samuel told Jimmy that he, quote, stopped counting the amount of victims he had uh, killed at 84. He was counting, and he got to 84, and then he lost count. Like, that's that's so sick. I don't know. I feel like if that's all you did was kill people... It's literally your life. You for would know. For 40 fucking years. You would know. The next day, Jimmy went back over for another four-hour interrogation. These interrogations continued over the next few months, even taking place in different states as Samuel was being, like, tried for various victims. Whoa. And Jimmy just, like, went with him to keep talking to him. During these interviews, Samuel opened up about the specific details of each crime. While he couldn't remember everything... He remembered a remarkable amount of detail of each woman, what they were wearing, where he met them, their stories, things like that. He even took it upon himself to draw sketches of women and ended up drawing over 20 sketches in total that looked like the women that he had killed. He was like, oh, I remember... To identify them? Or 75, just in- here's, here she is, and he gave, the, like, literally. Yeah, to help, I guess, help identify them. Although there are dozens of murders that are still cold cases, Samuel's confessions helped close multiple different open cases over the years, with family members of some victims being contacted 50 years later. Could you imagine? Like, 50 years Like, you years never know what by, happened to Grandma. And then 
you find out 50 years later. When asked why he seemed to suddenly want to confess, Samuel stated, quote, probably be numerous people who are been convicted and sent to the penitentiary on my behalf. I say if I can help get somebody out of jail, you know, God might smile a little more, bit more on me. So he doesn't give a shit about the victim's family no, or, or the victims themselves. He's like, oh, that guy might be in this jail for the guy. crime that I committed. This... He needs to be released. Ugh, that's awful. He was also noted as saying, quote, I don't think there was another person who did what I like to do. I think I'm the only one in the world, and that's not an honor. That's a curse. Being in late age at the time of his conviction, Samuel spent many of his later years in poor health, in a wheelchair, with diabetes, Good. and a heart condition. Good. It was not until the early hours of December 30th, 2020, that Samuel passed away from seemingly natural causes at the age of 80 in the California State Prison one day before the 50th anniversary of his first murder. That's serendipitous. Of all of the murders that were confessed by Samuel, only 60 were confirmed at the time of his death. Psychiatrists have named him a sexual serial killer, which... I didn't really get a lot of information on that, but that's the, that's the story. Yeah. Like, yeah, he never once talked about stroking. Yeah, no, I don't want to say <laughs> choke and stroke. That's fucking gross. I'm not going to give him that. Anyways, but, like, I, it's just... If, if I had details on every single person that he killed, we would be here for fu- all day. We would be here for hours. Like, yeah, we, yeah, an entire day, probably. Literally. Yeah. Like, and that is just so baffling like how someone can just it was literally like boom 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 right and how do you not get fucking caught like not only are you getting off on these like charges but he was only tried for two actual murders between the time that he started killing and then 24 or 2012 he could if he committed 90 that's 93 times that the police fucked up right well i mean unfortunately in in sex work you know when these people, I will say people because it's not just, it's not gender specific, yeah. but sex workers, uh, I think they don't really usually have a lot of contact with their family yeah. if they're living on the streets. They are honestly usually aren't reported missing for some days, you know, yeah. some days, sometimes a week, sometimes a month mm-hmm. from a family member or a friend because they are also living a transient lifestyle. They're also going from one side of the city to the other or yeah. another city or hitchhiking, especially hitchhiking in like the seventies, sixties and seventies. That was a big thing. So I think it's a little bit of that, that people weren't reported missing. Yeah. I wonder if uh, how many of these women were actually ever reported missing. Well, that's what I'm saying though, but these bodies had to have been found. Like where did he put them in just like random places? It's not right. like he had a really great method of hiding. You but know, it also after... seems like he's also a transient person. He's also moving around a lot too. That's true. So, I mean, you know, some of the together. hardest cases ever are serial killers that are like truck drivers. Because they're constantly yeah. going across state lines all the time. Well, I guess when you think about it, too, like, and I'm not trying to be ugly at all, but, like, there's no murder weapon. Seemingly someone was, was choked or strangled that could easily have been an angry client or something, you know? And it doesn't True, necessarily mean John. it's the same guy right. you know, every time. Yeah. God, that's really awful. Like, and that's what they say. Like, he's potentially the most, like, the deadliest serial killer in America. I mean, his numbers make... Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer look like fucking like nothing, jokes, you know, like yeah. infants. Seriously, they literally says that his numbers like dwarf theirs is what mm-hmm. it said. Like, and there's more information. Um, 
I didn't include everything that I found, again, for, for time's sake. Uh, but there was also another, like, journalist or, like, reporter of some sort, a woman that actually I read that um, visited him in, in jail as well. And they actually bonded, and she had asked him at one point, like... Um, was it Barbara? Barbara no, It was just some <laughs> random lady, but she asked him, like, at one point, like, oh, like, would I be one of your victims? Or somehow it came up, like, you know, I'm a woman, like, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, no, like, I wouldn't kill you. Like, I wouldn't kill someone that's, like... Like famous up there in or, society, yeah, exactly. or like elevated, yeah. you know, in there. So it's like he didn't feel any. He definitely for this thought woman. about it. Oh no, he didn't. But then I, I can't think of like what would have happened to me. Like that sounds like a case of nature to me. Like, or I mean, nurture as well, because he was. But it's not like he was in foster care his whole life. He his mom did leave, but then he went with his grandparents. Like immediate. His mother relatives. was also a sex worker too. You said that. That's actually really true. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. And she so, traveled around a lot, too. So maybe he, like, had hatred for his mom and he, like, took it out. Probably. Women. Oh, that's so awful. I can't imagine that. That's so awful. I mean, all of it. Like, the whole situation. Mm-hmm. But thank God for DNA. But isn't that wild that he died two years... Not even two years. Like, almost two years ago. Yeah, Because he technically it was made it to 2021. He was two days away from 2021. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like... Ugh. Ugh, I hope he got rough. COVID in his butt. Got the butt COVID. You got the butt vid. The butt vid. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us for another case. Uh, we will be back pretty soon. Um, I didn't mention our handles on the last episode, I don't think. So we have patreon.com slash diagnosing a killer. We have diagnosing a killer at gmail.com. Titter. Twitter at killer diagnosis. And then Instagram is at diagnosing a killer as well. We did get a really lovely email, like we said in the beginning. So please continue to send us those. We love hearing from you guys. And yeah, I think we should be getting on and on. Anything else you got? No, that's it. Finger guns. Finger guns. All right, guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.